Our scripture reading this evening is Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. That can be found on page 1,236 in your pew Bibles. And we will also be reading Belgian Confession articles 22 and 23 as we look at the righteousness of faith and justification. That can be found in your Forms and Prayers book on page 175, beginning on page 175. Before we read God's word, let's ask for his blessing. Father in heaven, we turn our attention to your word and we pray that we would give it the proper respect that it is due. And we also pray we would not treat it as a stale document, one to read like any other book, or even as an instruction manual, as something to read so that we can get a a response for this life, some sort of application Instead, we turn to your word that we may encounter you, that we may praise your name and ultimately glorify you. And we ask that you would do that specifically here tonight as we think about the wonderful gifts of faith, justification, that we would properly understand them, that you would be glorified in them in our faith, and our understanding would be increased and strengthened through them to your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians 2, verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified as far as we'll read from Galatians 2. Now we turn our attention to God's word as summarized in the Belgic Confession. We believe the Belgic Confession presents the true teaching of God's word. Article 22 of the Belgic Confession says, We believe that for us to acquire the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits and makes him its own, and no longer looks for anything apart from him. For it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ, or if all is in him, then he who has Christ by faith has his salvation entirely. Therefore, to say that Christ is not enough, but that something else is needed, as well as a most enormous blasphemy against God. For it then would follow that Jesus Christ is only half a Savior. And therefore we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone or by faith apart from works. However, we do not mean, properly speaking, that it is faith itself that justifies us. For faith is only the instrument by which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. But Jesus Christ is our righteousness, crediting to us all his merits and all the holy works he has done for us and in our place. And faith is the instrument that keeps us in communion with him and with all his benefits. When those benefits are made ours, they are more than enough to absolve us of our sins. We read Article 23. We believe that our blessedness lies in forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ. And that in it, our righteousness before God is contained. As David and Paul teach us when they declare that man blessed to whom God grants righteousness apart from works. 
And the same apostle says that we are justified freely or by grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. And therefore we cling to this foundation which is firm forever, giving all glory to God, humbling ourselves, and recognizing ourselves as we are, not claiming a thing for ourselves or our merits, and leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified, which is ours when we believe in him. That is enough to cover all our sins and to make us confident, freeing the conscience from the fear, dread, and terror of God's approach, without doing what our first father Adam did, who trembled as he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. In fact, if we had to appear before God relying, of God, God relying no matter how little on ourselves or some other creature, then alas, we would be swallowed up. Therefore, everyone must say with David, Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servants, for before you no living person shall be justified. People of God, I want us to consider today something that you have that you, that you need and is necessary, and yet something that has become so commonplace that it is somewhat forgotten. A great blessing, a great gift. Perhaps we could use as an example, a, someone gifts you a house and a home that's totally paid for. No mortgage payment, no taxes need to be paid on it. it, it it's been given to you fully, it's completely paid off. Now, you would spend your entire life in this house. This is where you would sleep. This is where you would eat. This is where you would entertain. This is the place of your residence. And yet, I would imagine, because of the fact that you are in it so often, that the gift itself would sort of perhaps lose its luster, perhaps lose its significance. You would begin it by sort of walking the halls and saying, look at, look at this, I can't believe it. And there would be for days, weeks, maybe even months of just walking around wondering, how, how did I deserve this? How did I receive this? And just standing in awe and, and relishing this house. And then as you continue to live in it, this very necessary thing, it might become very commonplace, sort of something we're at home with. It is our home. But what we shouldn't do is lose the, the understanding of this great gift. And this is exactly what our faith and our justification are. There are houses. These, this is what we live in. This is, this is in many ways the hinge on which true religion turns. This is the substance of true faith itself, justification and faith in Christ. This has been given to us. It's a gift just like that house brought to us that we live in. And what we don't want to do is become familiar and so familiar with it that it loses its luster that we walk around. And, and as we look at these great things, the chandeliers, the light fixture, what used to bring us to say, I didn't deserve this, this is amazing, then just becomes, yeah, there it is. That's what we don't want either. You see, justification, and, and particularly in our Reformed traditions, what we've been given has been an amazing gift in understanding justification and having it before us, and understanding faith and having that before us. This is where it all stands. This is where it all goes. And so today, we want to look at this. We want to look at how, how simple of this, doc, this doctrine really is and how it applies to our life. And so I'm going to do it breaking down each point into, basically each point is one sentence. And so I'm going to read the whole point and we're going to break it down and, and take each, each of it point by point. This is what we are trying to look at tonight. The Holy Spirit works faith that is all or nothing, which is not a work but an instrument, to credit to us Christ's righteousness. 
and say that again. The Holy Spirit works faith that is all or nothing, which is not a work but an instrument to credit to us Christ's righteousness. And so we look at first... The Holy Spirit works faith. The first two points will be somewhat review. We'll go through that a little quicker as we've covered them initially and, and more thoroughly last time. But we're going to look at them in a little bit, bit of a different way. First, the Holy Spirit works faith. The Belgic in Article 22 begins with the proper and fulsome view of the Trinity and also who is the gift giver. You see, last time we saw that if we try to pay for anything, we end up having to pay for everything. And so the natural progression would be, all right, if we aren't paying it, if we're not the ones who stand on our works and it's not of our works, well then whose is it? Who who gives it to us? Where does this come from? And so that's the logical step. Where, Where is the faith coming from? The Belgic says the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all his merits and makes him its own. The Holy Spirit kindles that imagery of of lighting a fire, of creating it, in fact. It is the Holy Spirit who creates this faith in our life, in our hearts. It's He who works it. And just as someone needs to create the spark, light the fire, and it's one who's doing this, this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. And He doesn't do it as if we're blocks to be pushed around, as if we're chess pieces that He just moves like like we are unresponsive to it. It's a kindling, but a creating. It's an igniting in our souls what this is, and it is a gift. It's not something that we have and possess by our own works. It's the Holy Spirit giving it to us. And this is the fulsome view of the Trinity itself. This is the Spirit's work. This is what the Spirit does, among other things, clearly. But this work is especially given to the Spirit. You can think of John 3 and and being born above, being born of the Spirit, reborn. That is what happens in what's called regeneration. The Holy Spirit kindles the faith in us and produces it in us. How does, as as the Belgics say, how does the Holy Spirit produce this faith, or what are the means? Well, it's, it's the Word. That's what He uses. We learn that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to produce this faith. And so as the Word of God is read, but particularly preached... The Holy Spirit takes that and uses it, and and that is what is used to kindle and alight the new life within us. It's God's Word. God's perfect Word that the Holy Spirit uses. And this is why faith is itself a gift, not something that we can boast in. Just as an aside, and I say this as an aside, but it's important. True theology always magnifies God. The Reformed faith, and and I I almost hate saying it that way, because it it just kind of sounds like we're just this sliver among many Christians. I would rather say the the true teaching of God's Word. And yet that is often expressed in our creed, so I can call it the Reformed faith. The Reformed faith especially puts that forth, that it is always God and what He's done. It it is our, our understanding and the right understanding of God's Word that shows us we can't boast in anything. And that we boast only in God. You see how, how magnifying of the Lord that is. And that's what true theology always does. It, 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 it just rips away anything from anyone else and gives it all to God. Because it is He who does it. That's what we read in our text from Galatians and many other texts say. That this is worked out by God Himself. It, it's, it's a gift that we can't boast in. True theology always magnifies the name of the Lord and what He's done. And yet, even in that that true theology, it always then takes us so far. 
magnifies his name, but then gifts us all these things, makes us the heirs of God himself. It's amazing. And one other mention, and one other point I want to mention before we continue, is we need to understand and recapture the mantle of the Holy Spirit. There are other branches of Christianity that might try to claim that. I think I've said this before, that there are other ones who would, would try to say, we're the, the, the people of the Holy Spirit. We emphasize the Holy Spirit, but it is truly in our in the true understanding of God's word that we see what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is all over our creeds, all over our confessions, especially on our confessions, and what the Holy Spirit is doing and working. We need to recapture that mantle and understand of the fulsome view of God himself. Let's not just generally and generically speak of what God does. Let's understand and know our God enough to pinpoint it and be able to praise, this is the Holy Spirit who does this in me, who dwells in me, according to the Father's own plan and good pleasure, because he's taking the work of the, the Son and applying it to me. And in this way, that's so much more magnificent than just saying, God saved me. You can understand it in such a rich way and give God glory, and that is our goal. And so we see in our first point, again, we go through that briefly, that the Holy Spirit works faith. But he works faith that is all or nothing. What does this mean? This is really what we talked about last time. The Belgic continues its discussion of faith and the spirit work, Spirit's work, and it looks at it. It says, For it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ, or if all is in him, then he who has Christ by faith has his salvation entirely. Therefore, to say that Christ is not enough but that something else is needed as well, is a most enormous blasphemy against God. For it then would follow that Jesus Christ is only half a Savior. Really beautiful logic. Really easy to follow. But it is just profound. Either Jesus is our full Savior, or he's not our Savior at all. He is not half a Savior. You can picture such an object that anything it touches, sort of maybe the, perhaps the hand of Midas. I might be getting this wrong. This is, this is extemporaneous, always dangerous to do. But this, that hand that would touch something and turn it into gold. I think that's, that what, that's what it is. People are nodding. That's good. So when you touch something and it turns into gold, it, anything it touches becomes gold. We can look at Christ in this way. Anyone he sets out to save, anyone he touches who the Holy Spirit brings that to, is going to become gold. It can't be touched by God and not be saved. You can't just, like, most of it becomes this gold piece, but there's a little bit end of the flesh, and that needs to be dealt with. No, it's total. It's fully. The whole thing is from Christ. Anything it touches, anything that comes into contact with him is purified and sanctified. This is biblical imagery. Think of the, the miracles that were performed by Christ, where you have the, those who just reached out to touch him, to just touch his mantle and faith, and were healed. He is that purifier, and, and that physical imagery shows what he is in the spiritual reality for Christ to touch us, to save us, saves wholly, saves fully. This is all or nothing. It's beautiful. One commentator says that faith in and of itself is useless to allow us to stand before God and have a relationship with him unless that faith is placed in Jesus Christ, who is the sole object of faith for justification. Faith itself is useless. Faith itself does not save. It needs to be placed in someone, in Christ. 
It's, it's only Christ that saves. It isn't your faith. And I know we say that we're saved by faith. And we mean something slightly different. What, what I'm talking about here is, what is the thing that saves you? And it's not the exercise of faith. It's Christ that you receive by faith. That's what we'll see as we continue on. And so we are not to be confused in any way. The trust or faith that you place in God is not itself a work that saves because that's where others might go and that's where it's harmful to go. It's not faith in Christ and something else. And again, we look at this last time that you try to pay for anything, you pay for everything. But some might go then to that teaching. Some might say, I agree with everything that you said, and it is faith itself. It's just that little thing that you have to do, and that, that is the one work necessary. Faith. Could we perhaps say that? That, that, that that's, it's just that work alone. It, that's it. It's all of grace. It's all of Christ. But, but to get that, you need to do one work. There's common examples of this. It's, it's the, the, he's knocking on the door, just, just answer, just open it. He's, you're drowning and he's throwing the life preserve out to you. All you have to do is grab it, hang on to it. There's one little thing you must do. And this is where we come to our third point. Faith is not a work, but an instrument. The Holy Spirit works faith. We looked at that. That is all or nothing, and we looked at that. And now we look that faith is not a work, but an instrument. The Belgic says, however, we do not mean properly speaking that it is faith itself that justifies us, for faith is only the instrument by which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So faith is called a, is called a gift. It isn't a work that we can do. Faith is a gift, not a work, in which we can boast. The Spirit of God creates this faith. Faith is not merely understanding, but embracing, seeking, and trusting in God. But all of these things are worked by the Holy Spirit in us. Now, there is a reception in our own lives. Again, it is not as if we're robots. But the Holy Spirit moves in every which way, opens the mouth, puts the words in, and says it. It's not as if we're robots. There is a response from our own spirit and soul. But that's not the basis, it's in response to a gift given. You see, what the Reformers were responding to is a teaching of Rome and in, in the idea of merit. And we even see that in our, in our confession, the, the language of merit and what is gained. The Roman Catholic Church does not openly teach that justification is by works. They don't openly teach that. They would not just say it that way. They would teach something more to the effect that justification is by means of sanctification, or perhaps better said, justification that includes sanctification. I know boys and girls were using those bigger terms, but what they're saying is how you're right with God includes your own personal holiness, includes something about yourself, includes that sanctification element being made worthy being made holy, something being done to your own nature. And what Rome would say is that that is required for justification itself, that that's an aspect of it and must be contained in it. And they speak of, of grace and merit in several ways, in two ways specifically. And I want to use their terminology and I want to get a little specific here so that we, we understand what's being said. These are precise arguments, but they're important. The Roman Catholic Church teaches two kinds of merit, what's called congruent merit and condign merit. Congruent merit, as one commentator says, is something like trying your best and letting God do the rest. 
Congruent merit is something like a half merit, a cooperating grace of God that's rewarding our works, not because we've fully met the demands, but because God decides to accept it as if it were fully meritorious. What is that saying? That congruent merit is the idea then that we may not be fully doing it. We might not be perfectly doing it, but God decides to merit to us as if we deserve something and gain something by this simple little act that we do, that then we merit this. And yes, we know that we didn't fully deserve it, and it's gracious that God is giving it to us, but it's based on this. It is based upon that. So it's congruent. It works with it. That's what the idea is. Condi merit is the idea of, of a reward that's truly earned and deserved, that's truly merited, that actually meets the demands of justice, even if it still has the help of the Holy Spirit, it's meeting it. So you have these two types of merit that are taught, and they use this in various ways. That part of the way we're then saved is this idea of this congruent merit. We're not perfect, they would say, and we're saved by grace, but it's, it's also this other thing. It's also the sanctification that we have been given and that we merit and earn because of God's grace. That isn't the right way of speaking. Contrary to what the Roman Catholic Church taught, the Reformers taught that we had neither type of merit. We didn't have a half type of merit. We didn't kind of earn something because God was gracious. It wasn't just this half thing we earned. And we didn't certainly fully merit anything. The only merit... The only thing earned and gained as if it was a, a, a wage that was properly rewarded was what Christ has done. That is what we receive, and that's what matters. It's not our own works, it's Christ. And this is still a disagreement we have with the Roman Catholic Church. I'm going to update the language a bit, but the Council of Trent, the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, says this. If anyone says that by faith alone the wicked are justified, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. What Trent is saying is if anyone would say that you're, you're saved, that you're justified by faith alone, and there's not a certain movement of your own will that's cooperating in it, let him be anathema. And we would say that there is no way in which we could cooperate. There is nothing that we could earn. You see, to say faith is an instrument means that we do not confess that it is faith itself that justifies Faith is an instrument, it's a tool, it's a, it's a means of grasping something. You could think, of, a classic example of, of describing faith and, as an instrument is sort of like a pipe. That faith is like a pipe that conveys what's inside it to the recipient. It isn't what is inside it, it isn't the pipe itself that saves, but what's in it. And I would take this and use a slightly different illustration to, to explain this and how faith is an instrument. Think of a patient coming into a hospital. This patient is on death's door. This patient is unconscious from, from malnourishment, needs water, needs sustenance and food, and is unconscious because of that. This patient can do nothing to save themselves. And in this illustration, this patient is brought to the hospital, and the doctor comes and connects the life support, connects the IVs and feeding tubes. And in our illustration here, these IVs, these feeding tubes, are what faith is. 
And the doctor is who the Holy Spirit is. You see, it is a gift that the Holy Spirit is working in them. He is connecting in those ways these tubes, the life support, and what we need. And the Holy Spirit is then doing that as a gift to this patient who is lying and unable to help himself in any way. And then continuing with this illustration, what is the fact, what is what saves this patient? It isn't the, the plastic or, or of the IV. It's not the tube of the feeding tube. It's what's in it. And we could liken that to the merit of Christ and what is gain. Now, illustrations fall far short, but you see what we're saying here. Faith, worked by the Holy Spirit in us, are the, the means by which is conveyed the merit of Christ to us. And so this patient is then saved and revived and nourished by the merit of Christ through the operation of the Holy Spirit that is flowing to him and being grasped because of the hands of faith that can grasp it. But it's all a gift. Not our own works. Faith we do respond in. We profess it. God so works in it that even in our illustration, the body's going to respond to the nourishment. It's going to be saved. It's going to react to them. Because life is being ignited anew in it. And there is a response in faith, but not one to boast. Not one that we've worked. And so we see then that faith is the instrument. And so we move to our final point. Again, this is what we're going through. The Holy Spirit works faith that is all or nothing, which is not a work but an instrument, and forth to credit us Christ's righteousness. This is Article 23. This is on justification itself. How are you right with God? That's the way the Heidelberg Catechism introduces the topic of justification. How are you right with God? Justification is in many ways the true test of theology. It's not the only one, but it's a significant one. If we get the answer to this wrong, we misunderstand something and we'll get the rest of theology wrong itself. The debates in the Reformation centered over the doctrine of justification. And so if your theology is wrong here, it will be wrong elsewhere. And that's why a goal this evening is that none of us would leave here without understanding what justification is, being able to understand and define it. Some of us are no doubt very familiar with this and has heard it and can define it. Some of us, particularly maybe those of younger, the youth of us, might not be able to define this. But we need to. We need to be able to say, if you are asked, what is justification, you can answer it. So we answer it here tonight. Justification is the language and idea of a, of a courtroom and even a financial transaction. You could kind of keep those two imagery, images together. A courtroom in which we're being legally declared not guilty and righteous, upright. The penalty, the judge is saying the penalty has been paid. You are no longer under a threat of punishment. Legally, you are declared innocent. And that's the courtroom side of it. And then you can add the financial side of it where now in our accounts has been given all these finances. This is the difference between a billionaire simply paying off your debt and then linking his account to yours. You see, God could have just forgiven our debt and brought us back to square one, and then we could have tried to live it out and, and live out the law and then achieve what we didn't under Adam. But that's not what happens. There's two sides to justification. The legal, we're innocent, and then we're given a full account of the works of Christ. That's what imputation is. That's what crediting is. And so, to clearly define it, so that we all walk out of here and know what we're saying, what is justification? Just as if I've never sinned, and as if I've kept the law perfectly. That's what justification is. Just as if I've never sinned, and have perfectly kept 
the law. This is the gift that we've received in Christ himself. This is that, that house we've been given that we live in. This is, this is a substance of our faith. We can't, we can't understand true faith without this. And it's beautiful and gracious. And we always keep in mind that we're not justified by faith alone. Or I should say, we are justified by faith alone, but not with faith alone. What we mean there is our faith is not unaccompanied by good works. It's proven by good works, and good works flow from it. Our faith, though, is what justifies us, not because it's faith itself. Faith is the instrument that leads us to Christ. It is through Christ that we receive the grace of God. Just as our sin was original... It came in Adam. We had been guilty as, a, as humanity. And our sin is actual. We've committed it. So God deals with both sides of that sin. He deals with the original sin as our second mediator, fulfilling the law on our behalf, paying the penalty of our sin. And he also deals with our actual sin, and he deals with that through what is called sanctification. And that's what we'll study next time, sanctification. But that's the difference between them. As we conclude, though, today, what do we think of? We think of that house in which we began. It is truly an amazing blessing that we walk in all the time, the knowledge of justification, and it becomes too familiar to us. We lose that, that joy we have in it. But to think, to put before our eyes again that we walk just as if we've never sinned, even as we're sinning all the time, before God, it's, it's not. God does not see that we have sinned. He knows we do. It's not that he's blind. He doesn't reckon it to us. He doesn't judge us according to it. We are freed from the judgments of sin. We are also given a righteousness. Just to use that illustration again, our, our accounts have been linked to a billionaire. That was true of us today. Would we not live differently? we not be lavish? I don't mean that in a, in a negative way. I mean, would we, not, would we not find so much peace, so much glory in the fact that all the needs have been met? It would be a truth that would change our lives. It is a truth that has changed our lives. We've been given the full righteousness of God himself. The full righteousness of God himself is ours. You almost say that, and I almost say, well, I shouldn't say that. That's just too grand. And it is. It is too grand, but that's the truth. Be as righteous as Christ himself. In this, we rejoice. In this, we walk, and we praise our only Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you as we have meditated on this great doctrine this great doctrine of justification, of faith. We know that our faith is a gift, it's an instrument, and we know that what justifies us is our one true Savior, Christ, and he does this fully. He is not half a Savior, he is not half a Lord, he is one fully. All who he touches to save are saved. All who the Holy Spirit regenerates come to you and receive that great truth that we have just as if we've never sinned, as if we've kept the law fully. 
May we then strive to let what is true of us in this credited legal sense be true of us in, in practice. May we work out of that justification the, the understanding that we are saved and seek in gratitude to live a perfect life, though we know we will fail. And we look forward to the day when we will be perfect and what will be true of us in that legal courtroom sense will be true of us in the actual sanctified sense as well.